0: Every year, Florida has always been the number one state for foreign buyers. Where will they put their money anyway if you're from Venezuela or Argentina? Cash sales for Miami, Dade County, a 52%. Palm Beach, 60%. That was a black swan event, right?
1: My guest today is Gay Kororatan. You're the chief economist at the Miami Realtor Association. I wanted to talk to you to get the inside view of the South Florida housing market. As a whole, I think the U.S. is in a housing market recession. You know, the number of home sales nationally adjusted for population size is near the lowest level in recorded history. If Miami uh, median home prices really are holding up as well as the data suggests, Why do you think that is? And do you think that Miami is actually avoiding the home price decline because of some strange combination of demographics and immigration? Or is it just delayed and Miami's housing price drawdown is coming?
0: Ricky, thanks for having me. So First of all, let me give you the data. Prices nationally are growing about 2% was the latest information that we got from NAR. The County of Miami-Dade prices are growing much faster than that. Last September, we saw about 6 to 7% growth. Same thing for Palm Beach and Martin County. So in general, you know, prices have held up well, and I think it's really because of what I would call the buffers and drivers of the Southeast Florida market. And what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, let's take a look at the drivers. One is really the job growth in the area. You know, if if you look at employment statistics, jobs have been growing much faster in Southeast Florida than nationally. I think for September, uh, job growth was about 3% in Miami-Dade County, and nationally it's just about 1.5%. And we're seeing a return of jobs in healthcare, hospitality, business. So part of that really is the recovery from the pandemic. Miami is a tourist uh, destination. It's a vacation destination. Of course, people are now also moving there, migrating there. So I like to look at the passengers who are coming to the uh, Miami market. That, that's 15 million last year. And, and it, it, we're going to hit about that same level this year, 15 million arrivals. 2019, that was just around 10 million. So you've got 5 million more people now. And that's a lot of sp- Spending, right an additional 5 million tourists
1: is that number the 15 million is that from 2022 or is that from the trailing 12 months
0: oh okay so the uh 15 million was 2022 and then over the past eight months a little bit slower but if you kind of annualize it we're going to hit about that same level too about 14 to 15 million but we're way over the 10 million figure that we had in 2019
1: so you're saying that the the tourist surge, we you know were basically 150% of where we were pre-pandemic, and that has driven an increase in hospitality employment, which is then doing something for the housing market. If that surge in tourism is pent up demand that will maybe see a pullback if we enter a broader economic recession next year, that would then presumably pull back on that hospitality employment. What effect do you think that'll have on the real estate market? How important is hospitality to the overall Miami area market?
0: Okay. Well, first of all, let me just say that it's not just uh, tourists who are coming. You know, people who are uh, going there for tourism and travel, you know, temporarily just staying there, but we've also seen a wave of migration. So that migration that we had after the pandemic is still elevated. And the data there that we're looking at and that I'm monitoring every quarter is the driver license exchange data. The top movers there from that driver license exchange data are people from New York, California, New Jersey. And people from those states who are exchanging their driver's license into a Florida driver's license is about 25 to 40 percent higher than it was in 2019. So people are also moving and migrating to Southeast Florida. So on your question, I'm one of those who believe that we can avoid a recession. I just want to uh, put that out there. And if the economy does get into a recession, it's not going to be deep and it's not going to be long. And why is that? So we're still seeing the consumer kind of resilient. And and Florida itself, as I said, is seeing that migration from other states. So people who are uh, leaving New York, California, in part because it's still more expensive to live there, pay a higher cost of housing, higher property taxes, still more expensive to live there. So they are coming to Florida. I think that's one buffer that I'm seeing.
1: Gotcha. So that that number you gave of I think you said 25 to 40 percent elevated license exchange was that from 2022 or is that from the last year? I like think the well, last. So this months. is
0: data. Yeah. So this is data as uh, so of the first quarter of this year. So driver's license exchange data from this year versus the same period last year for those three states that I mentioned New York, California, New Jersey, it's about twenty-five to forty percent. I think overall still about I think twenty percent higher. Twenty to twenty-five percent higher.
1: So I'm very curious here. I wonder if this is lagging data, because I think a lot of people move somewhere new and they don't exchange their license immediately. I'm one of those people, you know, I've moved around a lot and I typically am delayed by a year, maybe two years between when I move there and when I finally get around to swapping my license plate or my uh, driver's license for the new driver's license of that state. So if we're talking about Q1 2023 swap data, I think that might even been when I swapped my license and I moved here two years ago how up to date do you think that license swap data is like clearly during the pandemic we had a big move of people coming down to the southeast florida market and maybe now those people are getting around to swapping their licenses but are we still seeing the same rate of immigration you know you look at somewhere like austin austin saw a large influx of immigration during the pandemic and now that's slowed and even reversed somewhat South Florida market is very interesting. I think long term, right? It's going to continue to attract finance from New York and Chicago. That makes it very interesting long term. But if you say from 2020... There was a rate of people that were coming in from those places. Then you just compacted all the next five years into two years.
0: Uh, you know, we do see, uh, again, from the driver license exchange data, I, I do see some normalization. And I, I'm looking at my chart right now. So let's just take the case of the New York movers. 2023, Q3, just my chart that, that I'm looking at right now, it, it's averaging about 1,000. Back in 2021, at the peak of the pandemic, it was about 1,500. So yes, it has slowed, but it's still elevated compared to, I think, about, I'd say about 700, 800. So 700 to 800 prior to the pandemic, it it soared about 1500 2021 now it's back down to 1100 1000 to 1100 yes it is normalizing but i think that we'll continue to see this elevated for some time just because in in general your population is aging you have more retirees and the labor force participation rate of 55 and over has fallen so again i looked the last data that i looked at in september i think the labor force participation rate for 55 years old and over was about 39% prior to to the pandemic. That has dropped to about 36%. So, you know, I'm just trying to correlate here that there was some early retirement and so some of those moved to Florida and other Sunbelt states. I'm not seeing yet a surge in the labor force participation rate. So on that note, i would say that there is some impetus for migration, you know, of one demographic group that is propping up uh, migration into Florida. I'm seeing that still going to continue. And, you know, just two days ago, the U.S. Census Bureau just released their population estimates till 2021, which is amazing, actually, you know. But anyway, let's just look until 2024. 40 or even 2060, because that's when the population 65 years old and over is going to really peak, and there'll be a crossover by 2060. You know, there's a steep rise. If you look at, let's just compare the uh, 25 to 44-year-old uh, age group versus the 65 plus and over the 25 to 44 age group is rising, but not as steeply as the 65 plus age group. So, in general, the point is America is seeing an aging population and Florida has been one of the recipients of, of people who are retiring. and so there's that demographic tailwind there that I think is going to continue this movement into Florida and you know, other sandbelt states too, right. It's not only Florida, but Florida is, I think the top state right now at least as of 2022 for for net domestic migration.
1: Right. That's an interesting point about the demographic tailwind. Do you think the demographic tailwind is the largest tailwind? Like, why is Miami so special, right? You look at a chart of real estate market change over the last year in every major metro area, and Miami is, you know, depending on exactly what metric you use, either at the top or very close to the top, is that the th- do you think the main reason why it's not budging? Is just that demographic tailwind, Florida, especially Southeast Florida, is the retirement destination for big urban centers like New York City. Those people are moving down here. That's buffering the market. Or do you think there's also, you know, do you think there's an equally larger, larger factor at play?
0: So, yes, the demographic is one tailwind. The other tailwind, I think, is the fact that home prices in the other states, California, New York, have risen so much over the last, what, from 2019 to 2022. And in 2022, right, you saw interest rates starting to go up. So that made the cost of a mortgage very expensive in those high price markets. You know, if what's the median price, let's say in uh, San Francisco, a million, right? You're going to pay a much higher mortgage. On, on that one million home than on a $500,000 home in Miami, right? So I think that was one impetus. The other impetus I think is, you know, it used to be, but that Miami was just a vacation place, place to have fun. People are vacation, summer, okay? And you go there, you go to the beach, but not anymore. I, we had just talked about the job growth, right? And if you look at the job, the kind of jobs that are growing there, that would include your professional and business employees. And- employment jobs, in addition to the hospitality jobs, and then also your medical jobs there, right? Uh, again, in, in a sense, you've got the demographic tailwind there of retirees moving there. So you've got your doctors, the nurses, but also, and I'm, and I'm sure you've heard of this, we've had a lot of high profile moves there, but I think this speaks to the emergence of Miami as a, a new place for finance, for tech. So who moved there? Citadel. Toma Bravo, oh, Microsoft. I think Microsoft had an office there in 2018, even. Who are the tech folks moving there? Er- Eric Schmidt, Ken Griffin. You know, why live in Miami? Uh, and of course, yeah. Who was the other one just recently? Jeff Bezos, right? Because of his Blue Origin you know, company in, in Cape Canaveral. Uh, like Miami is a new place to be. And it's a highly educated place. Miami-Dade, you know, has so many universities. FIU, FAU, University of Florida, a lot of talent. So you've got a well-educated workforce
1: there. So last year, I looked at some data for education statistics, and I think Miami was actually pretty bad. I don't remember the exact metric I was using. It might have been percentage of adults with bachelor's degrees or percentage of adults with master's or above. It was pretty bad. I think it was bad compared to the national average. It was even worse compared to actual tech centers like the Bay Area or Seattle or New York. As long as that's the case, that seems like that should be a headwind to actual tech companies coming here because they're going to have a difficulty hiring. I'm a history guy, too, looking at like past markets. And I think Chicago is an interesting example. Chicago, 100 years ago, or a little bit over 100 years ago sort of had rockefeller come in fund the university of chicago and that sort of catalyzed an intellectual movement within chicago which then i believe is a good part responsible for why it ended up being as much of a financial hub as it is nobody has done that for south florida yet like we have you miami but it doesn't have the same caliber like from the get-go when rockefeller founded u chicago they recruited top academia people nobody's recruited top academia people to you Miami it's there right but they haven't gone and hired off the Princeton people and the Stanford people and brought them down like Rockefeller did for Chicago so without that strong intellectual hub I can't quite figure out how much to buy into this narrative because there's also other cities that have it right you look at Austin Austin is like we're the next Silicon Valley and they kind of are but they also lost some right they brought some in during the pandemic and then they lost some you had companies like meta and google who said oh we're going to come out and rent out a building or a, at least a huge floor of a building and then pull out and say never mind we want out of this we're going to reconcentrate in silicon valley they're probably the best example but there's dozens of other smaller cities or even ohio is claiming that they're the next silicon valley and then you know it it was in detroit a while back and they're also all about well we're the next silicon valley we have a tech innovation renaissance that's happening here and look at all of our companies and they have nothing there but you know it seems like everybody is trying to claim that they're the next silicon valley so i'm trying really hard to find specific data i think finance is more clear to me than tech for miami you have a couple big players like citadel who have moved down and that also makes sense because finance companies tend to not be corporations a lot of times there are some federation of llcs you take advantage of florida tax law to the maximum and also a lot of retirees or part-time residents from new york who are the clients of those companies have some presence here tech i don't quite know how much i see that happening but it is interesting to try to make sense of the employment data professional business services that could be primarily finance health makes sense. You know, you're coming down following the crowd of retirees still it's quite a strengthening, like, you know, obviously numbers can get revised. I think retroactively, one of the interesting things is recessions are usually the worst data from the government agencies. So you obviously have revisions from fed data and BLS data over time and in recessions, historically, is when the biggest changes happen. So often you're in a recession and you don't actually know it because that data is going to get revised later. So all the media companies are like, hey, look, we're still not in a recession. How is that happening? And then a year later, like, oh, that data got revised. We were in a recession. So I wonder the Miami data like for employment, right? Is it really that strong? Like it's actually that much stronger than it was a year ago? Or is that some sort of confusion in the data? Like, How is how is there like a 1.9% unemployment rate here when a big part of the South Florida economy also is real estate and Florida as a whole, right? Real estate is very important in Florida as a whole. Construction is very important. I think the home builders, right, like Lenar's reports are not not very optimistic. What data sources do you look at here?
0: Yes. In, in terms of employment, I, I look at the non-farm employment data released monthly by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And I'm seeing here that, of course, I have it grouped as professional scientific and tech services. And you're right. That includes your legal Finance, tech, so all all lumped there. So that has increased. Now the other data that I also look at is the quarterly census of employment and wages. And you know, let's face it, I'm also trying to see is this story of the, the tech industry, is this narrative really there? Are we seeing it already? You know what? I think it is still burgeoning, at it's still early stage because one data that the BLS comes up with is what it calls its location quotients. So uh, if you can get a little bit techie here, but the location quotient just simply says what proportion of, let's say, information services industry or tech service industry, what proportion of those workers do they make up in Miami-Dade? And then nationally, what proportion of those tech workers make up the total labor force, right? And then you compare those two fractions and that will be your location quotient. If the uh, fraction is higher for Miami-Dade, right? Meaning there's a higher proportion then you'll have a number greater than one. And I'm tracking that, it still is not one. So you're right, you know, compared to California, Seattle, San Francisco, I think even Austin or even DC, Miami doesn't have a location quotient over one yet when it comes to tech. But I think it is still starting. It is there because we're seeing some growth in the numbers, but it's not yet to the point where you would see it making up a large chunk of the economy, right? So Miami-Dade, South Florida itself is still very much a service-oriented economy. You have a lot of your hospitality, healthcare workers, and not your doctors, right, but your nurses. So it's still very much a service-oriented economy. And so I think one data point that you had mentioned at the beginning was, oh, when I look at the percent of people with a bachelor's degree, it's very low. Yes. Because that is the composition of the workforce right now, right? And uh, well, Miami Dade's median income, it's not also very high because it's reflecting that composition. What is it? It's about uh, if you're a renter, 50 to 55,000. Uh, of course, if you're a homeowner, a bit higher, like 80,000. But the employment figures month over month are showing that there is that shift. And as I said, we've had Eric Schmidt move over here. Jeff Bezos move over here. And interesting that you said we have not had yet a major benefactor to a university in Florida. It's possible that you know one of these tech moguls might just endow a university and have their name splattered there in some building. Um,
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, I. I, I no, think I'm that's... very
0: positive about the future, I guess. I'm not saying that Miami is in the same league in terms of tech as Seattle, as San Francisco, as even D.C. We're Not there yet, but it is moving there, I think, from all indications that you're seeing in the employment changes. Model.
1: Yeah, I think I am most bullish on the finance move. The tech, I, I haven't made up my mind. I think that partly depends on, like you said, does Jeff Bezos come and endow University of Miami with $10 billion? That would definitely change the course of the tech industry in south florida at least right now it doesn't seem like tech is big enough to really move the needle though on the south florida market which leaves me thinking again why is it acting so strangely compared to the national market obviously we have the demographic tailwind we have some finance finance i'm also not sure how much of a difference that's making you know i think citadel said they're bringing down 1500 people but that's over like 10 years right so they're not bringing all of those people immediately and, and you said from the license exchange, it was something like a thousand, right? Which is a lot of people. But, you know, what percentage of those people are wealthy? Overall, the median income of South Florida is not very high. And obviously, the immigrants carry more income on average than the existing residents. But still, how high is it? You know, is that what's propping up the entire market? Is just this flow of wealthy residents from New York City and Chicago, right? Like, what exactly is it that makes it so different? Like, it could be just that, you know, it's just the demographics, it's just the retirees. Still, you know, you look at the median income for retirees in South Florida, also not very high. So you have a lot of retirees who are coming here and they're still not making that much. You can also look at capital gains data, and this is a little bit out of date, but at least historically, the capital gains of retirees is also not that high. So it's not like they don't have income, but they have a bunch of capital gains. Nope, they don't have a ton of capital gains or income. So it's just, yeah, I'm trying to wrap my mind around like where this is coming from. Like, how is it being held up so much?
0: You know, To me, if you were to look at, is it the retirees, the demographic tailwind we've spoken about? Is it the tech, the job growth, young folks who are coming here? If if I can segment, right? So I also took a look at the American Community Survey, but I took a look at the 2021 survey, not the 2022 survey yet. In Miami-Dade, most of your movers are from California, and they're the young folks. In Broward. And in Palm Beach, particularly, and even up in Martin County, they're your retirees. So the the Palm Beach, more of the retirees, but the Miami market, it's more of your young folks and folks from California. So... You know, if you're moving here, uh, you're young. You're from California. Most likely, you're moving to Miami because you think there's a job there, right? So I think both the demographic and just the overall job growth. And where's the job growth? Well, it might not be in tech, but it could be in the finance, in the those services, maybe your support. Not really the high tech, but could be some software, software related company. Like right, Vanguard just announced that they're setting up kind of like a remote workers in the area, right? They won't have a headquarters, but they'll have people working remotely. You know, when they say tech, I think it's very loose, right? You could be in AI, you could be kind of a, in real estate, could be developing some um, some software, could be developing some web pages. You know, you might just have skills probably doing Tableau, or you know, uh, uh, maybe you, you're good in Python or R or something like that. There's a lot of jobs there. So so that's one right? The demographic, I guess I'm also trying to wrap my mind around what what's causing the thing in Miami to just you know the housing market to just boom right like taxes have always been low. We've always had great weather, right? So what is it? I really think it was just this surge in migration. We've talked about the decline in labor force participation rate, more people retiring, just the job growth. Jobs are just growing faster, again, probably because of the business environment. Well, international migration, that was the other thing. Of course, Miami-Dade County has always had a large net international migration that fell during the pandemic, 2020, 2021, and you probably said, oh, people are fleeing Miami, right? But that was because there was a decline in net international migration. People are moving back. But then you ask, well, who are those people, right? Well, mostly they're from Latin America, Colombia, Brazil, Argentina, but lately, we also saw in the last international survey that we did—we haven't released the report—but one of the top buyers is Canada. Canadians—they used to love the Southwest Florida market, Bradenton, Sarasota, but you know now they're also moving into the Southeast market.
1: That's very interesting, actually. I mean, considering the state of the Canadian housing market, you know, they have a affordability crisis even more than than we do. Do you have data on numbers? Like how many Canadians are buying houses in Southeast Florida or percentage?
0: Uh, we, do, Yeah, well, we, we, I can't say that. I can say right now it is one of the top five, but we will be releasing our international survey soon. But yeah, it's it's surprising, right? Canada Canada was never in the top five.
1: Interesting. So that's a new trend, Canada rising up to the top five. Yes.
0: Yeah, the other interesting trend that I saw too was I worked with NAR for 10 years. I'm now with Miami. But before I joined Miami Realtors, I was with uh, the National Association of Realtors for 10 years. And I was doing that international survey. And, you know, the Canadians were always buying at the cheap, you know, and there's a joke, right? Oh, those cheap Canadians, right? If you look at their median price, it was on the low end compared to Argentinians, you know, Brazilians, but now the price of homes they're buying are not at the low end anymore. So I, I don't know, maybe some of this, again, could be job related and they're not just buying a, for a vacation home. You know, they could actually also be uh, moving into the area.
1: Do you collect data on what percentage of home sales are primary residences versus secondary homes?
0: Uh, at, at Miami?
1: Yeah, Miami or Southeast Florida.
0: Well, on the international survey, we do have that information. So about uh, 70% of international buyers tend to buy for the purpose of uh, using that home either as a vacation and or rental. So that uh, data is available for international buyers. But for the overall housing market for all types of buyers, you know, indirectly, yes indirectly. And what do I mean? What is that indicator? Cash sales, not perfect, right? Because for example, a retiree who has accumulated a lot of equity, California, New York, they move it, they can of course pay cash. But some of those cash buyers could also be uh, investor buyers. You know, I I think it's a combination of uh, a vacation and also maybe renting it out. Like condominiums, right? If you look at the data, cash sales for condos, that's about 70%. And I'm, I'm I'm like, my mind is blown away. Of condo homes that sold for a million or more, over 50% of those are cash. So again, right, it could be some wealthy buyer purchasing some condo in Miami Beach, or could also be another buyer purchasing a condo uh, to rent out.
1: So you're saying, oh, sorry, so 70% or 50% over of condos that are selling for a million or more? Or a condos? All
0: cash. Yes, yes. Yes, that so is like-, like 50% what, of,
1: are we, are, is, it, are you, is this a statement just about condos that are priced at a million or more or all condos?
0: All condos, uh, if you look at, uh, I have the data actually here. Uh, cash sales for just condos. For Miami, Dade County, uh, 52%. Uh, Broward, 51%. Palm Beach, 60%. Martin County, 68%. This is all condos, right? Now, if you look at the cash sales by price tier for condos, and here's where I was seeing the 70% figure, for 1 million or more homes, uh, condos, for Miami-Dade, 72%. Seventy-two percent for Miami. Date one million or more sales, and this is as of August. I was not able to update my spreadsheet, but it's about that level. A Broward, sixty-nine percent. Palm Beach, eighty-three percent. Wow, eighty percent of buyers who purchased a one million plus condo or townhome paid cash.
1: Honestly, that makes a lot of sense in this market. It's an expensive market. You know, the cap rates here are, at least in Palm Beach, in the area that I was looking in, it's roughly 5% optimistically. It can go lower if you're buying buildings. But if you buy a single unit and you try to cash flow it, 5% is optimistic. You, you put a mortgage on that right now and you're cash flowing negative. So cash is really the only way it makes sense whether you're an investor or you're buying a residence at this point.
0: But the fact that 70%, 1 million are paying all cash. I mean, that speaks to me that that person is really wealthy, right? And remember when we first started this conversation, I had like buffers and drivers. I mean, I think this high share of cash buyers in the Miami market is really one of those buffers because they're not paying with a mortgage. They have cash right? So they're able to lift up the market.
1: What were these percentages like two years ago?
0: Yes. Okay. Because we have had
1: the transaction volume come way down. So maybe it's just, that's all that's left.
0: Yes. So I was also looking at that. So the share prior to, now for single family, not much. So I, I was looking at that, the share of cash sales Single family, and cash is one of the things that I like to track, cash sales. So n- not much higher for single family, actually. In miami date 27% as of September 23. Prior to the uh, pandemic, February 2020,
1: 21%. So up slightly.
0: And then for condos, for miami date it's 52% now. Prior to the pandemic, it was, it was about... 40, you know, I mean, a month over month, it can change. But specifically in the month of February 2020, it was about 40, 46%, about 50%. Ah, so it's still pretty high. But yeah, it was still pretty high then, so pretty high now. In the condo market, I think it has about remained the same, but you know, but there's still that optic. Oh, and the other the other indicator there uh that shows that high net worth wealthy buyers are buying into the Miami-Dade market is the share of homes by price. Prior to the pandemic, you had about I think 20% of homes were still selling at below 400,000. Now that's just about 10%. That that market has disappeared, right? Of course, prices in general have moved up but a lot, a lot of the uh, sales that are occurring are at the high end of the market. You know, so, so I think uh, what's, what's causing, uh, may, maybe again, so all this thing is like, what's really causing uh, this, this market to, to book, right? I think it's those wealthy high income buyers, are they really pushing the needle? I mean, they are in a sense, right? I mean, sales have still gone down, so existing home sales January to September for the U.S. market overall, uh, and this is single family only, uh, minus 21 percent. Miami-Dade, minus 17 percent, single family. So it's not like, you know, Miami didn't get hit. It's also still getting hit by a sales decline, although Palm Beach, where your retirees are going, relatively more retirees, it's just minus 10 percent. Martin County, you know, where you also have a lot of older folks, this is now more north of uh, Miami Beach, minus 3%. So it's getting hit, but somehow this demographic tail being th- th- this combination, right? It's just a combination. You
1: know, I think Martin County is an interesting point, too, because if you're an investor looking to invest in Southeast Florida, Martin County is probably actually an interesting place to look because it's smaller than its, you know, three neighboring counties to the south much smaller. And so if you have immigration there, right, it, it just has a much smaller base that it has to grow from, which probably explains why it's down 3% instead of down 10% or 17%. Yes, yes. Like, yeah, of course, of course. It's much right? less populated, yeah, so the development mean, like tailwind is there.
0: Right, of course, because the, the uh, transactions are so small, right? One month, you can have the numbers jumping up and down. But anyway, this the 3% is from January to September, you know you're right it's a small area right so if you were looking for a job you know you, you probably will find a job in in miami right more than in martin county and you want you want to be in tech you want to be in finance right probably not martin but the other interesting thing that i noticed in the driver's license data if you go to our website uh, you, you can click down on stats and then under stats, you can click down on economic insights. So I I had uh, written some some uh, economic insights blog there and I do write it frequently every quarter about uh, driver license exchanges. The thing that I noticed about Martin was and it's small, right again, a percentage wise. so you'll see like oh if it's only 20 from 30, that's already like what a big job, right? But there was an increase in people from India. Moving to Martin, and like, wow, you know, of course, when you talk of Indians, right, we kind of relate them to IT, they're in tech. So now I'm thinking, you know, could there be like some kind of a booming tech area also in Martin? But anyway, that was interesting to me.
1: So I actually, I know of one Indian who commutes from near where I am to Martin County, and he does aerospace manufacturing. So he's an engineer, but not software doing hardware stuff but it ties in well to the space coast aerospace industry so maybe it's yes just yes right growth. because of,
0: yeah yeah you know it's cheaper properties are cheaper in martin county of course you could also have more expensive properties there in the jupiter area right so that's where uh, like that that that's the gulf capital of the world um uh, and of course right now people are also moving upwards into port saint Lucie into saint Lucie county So I think that's where we're going to see a a boost, St. Lucie County, because St. Lucie County is just very affordable.
1: Do you have any interesting data about St. Lucie County, either economic growth or driver's license?
0: Oh, yes. Yeah. So in that, uh, I do do have that. So I think I also track St. Lucie County. Prices are also up. Surprisingly, not as much, actually. Uh, And you know why? I think because there was a lot of supply there a lot of construction. So maybe because there was more construction going on, they didn't have that tight supply conditions. Prices aren't growing up as much. So the data that I'm seeing, about a percent increase in prices compared to Miami and Broward, where prices are up 7%. But uh, from what I'm hearing, at least from our realtors and, and those that do work in Martin County, they're telling me that there's a lot of migration now building into
1: market That's interesting. I want to talk about supply further south as well, because that's another interesting question, right? We've been mostly talking about demand, but... On the supply side, I think there's a relatively large number of multifamily units that are supposed to be coming online in the next year,
0: 2024. So yes, two data points on that. When I'm looking to the number of employed the building permits, the need for construction is in Broward County. Ten new jobs for every one new building permit, whereas Miami-Dade County and the rest, I think it's about two. These were the building permits up until September of this year. And I said, I was going to mention two data points, right? And here it is. Year to date as of September 2023, total building permits for Miami-Dade, about 12,000, right? So on an annual basis, you're going to have about 16,000 permits for Miami-Dade. You know what the level was in 2019? 10,000. And last year, 2022, we had about 12,000 permits. But now, just the first three quarters of the year, Miami Dade has already hit the total number of permits last year. So at the least, it'll be the same, right?
1: What was the total number of residential sales in 2022? So single family plus condos.
0: In Miami Dade. Yeah. For twenty two, it was. 2022 was.
1: Sorry. No, no, I I like it. It's good. In the spreadsheets, it's perfect.
0: (laughs) We're doing this, right? As we go along, we're like, yay, we're looking at the data. Year-to-date for Miami-Dade County is 18,793. Gotcha. Oh, sorry, this is 2023. You're looking at 2022, right?
1: Right, but that's uh, at least a rough number. So 6,000 more units in 2023 than pre-pandemic in terms of new units per year from 10,000 to 16,000 yes. and something like 20,000 a year of sales. So we're talking about, you know, a quarter to a third of the amount of sales and extra capacity that's coming on. That's a lot of supply that's about to drop on the market.
0: Yes. And, and, and let's just break that down. Right. Uh, most of it was multifamily. So 13,000 uh, units annualized in 2023. Versus 2022, 8,000. So a lot of it was multifamily. Now that could be for apartments, that could be condos. And I have another interesting statistic later on about apartments. But housing, the one unit, that declined.
1: So one unit, you mean single family?
0: You would have about 1,500 housing permits on an annualized basis in 2023. In 2022, 2,500. So so there's been a shift. People so so builders have shifted from your uh, single family to multifamily. And that's the story that you hear in the multifamily sector, right? And that is why those rents that rose like 20% uh 2021, 2022, right? That rent growth is coming down right now. And I track Rental Beast multifamily listings data and single-family listings, and I am seeing a decline in the asking rent for multifamily. Although single-family, the asking rents haven't declined. So it's a combination of on the demand side, there could be a preference for single-family home. And also on the supply side, there was a lot of construction on multifamily. Versus a single family, and so
1: rents are uh, declining in the multi-family market. Right, and that's that's just for Miami, right? Yes, for Miami. Do you see a similar story in Broward and Palm Beach, or is it substantially different?
0: Okay, to be clear, this is Rental Beast plus the listings in the Miami MLS, but Rental Beast compiles all of that. So for Miami Dade, rents were down five percent year over year in October, and also for Broward, but. For Palm Beach, Martin, and St. Lucie, they're up over 10%.
1: Interesting. Yes,
0: so that is multifamily. And then for single family, the same thing, very strong growth, although in Miami-Dade, for single family, rents were flat, Broward, they were growing by 3%. Palm Beach and Martin also growing by about 20%. And then St. Lucie by about 8%. So in general, seeing stronger growth in the single family market, and then particularly for Palm Beach, Martin and St. Lucie.
1: And the change in supply in Palm Beach, does that follow a similar trajectory to Miami, where you have this huge ramp up in supply that's about to come from multifamily?
0: Okay, uh, Palm Beach... It was about the same. So if the current pace were to continue, you'd have about 2,200 for five five units in Palm Beach. And last year it was about 2,500. But let's take a look at the one unit. Yeah, it, it kind of like declined a bit. We're looking now at just about 3,000 from th- 3,500 in 2022. So in Palm Beach, it's still more of single family But then there's also a kind of like a a little bit of shift towards multifamily.
1: But also a drop in both. Interesting, like both multifamily and single family actually dropped in supply. So that's interesting. Uh, Yes. That's probably also helping to prop up the prices here.
0: That is why. And here was the data that I was talking a while ago. So I took a look at the change in employment as of September, Miami-Dade, created 32,000 jobs thereabouts. Is that net? Yeah, housing permits were about the 16,000, right? So that's two jobs for every permit, which is, let's say there are two workers in a household. That's kind of like, yes. So there's enough construction there for Miami-Dade. Broward was where, I'm like, what is happening here? Broward created 34,000 jobs, but there were only about 2,800 housing permits. So it's not a lot of housing permits. So I don't know, maybe because Broward is in close proximity to Miami. I don't know, maybe builders place their bets on Miami, but not Broward. But to me, I think Broward is is a good place to bet your so money on. I
1: have a hypothesis. I, I think it would be interesting to look at the ethnicity data, because I think one thing that does make the South Florida housing market kind of strange to analyze is the fact that we have so many Hispanic immigrants, right? And a lot of them live in multi-generational housing. So you could have five or 10 people who are all living in one house. And so depending on where exactly those communities are located or clustered, that's going to affect those ratios. Like if you have a neighborhood that has an especially high you know, ratio of Hispanic immigrants there, then you're probably going to have many more people, more workers per household. And that also is probably going to show up in the income data in the, in the house levels. Because if you have four or five adult full-time workers in one household versus one or two, you know, they might be making less, but there's also a lot more of them, so they could potentially afford to pay more.
0: Yeah, of course. There's multi. I think there's data that supports that Hispanics and minorities tend to live in multigenerational housing, and also that they have a higher number of uh, people per household. But this data that I was talking about, I just want to be clear. So this is not the number of people per household. This is the ratio of people who got employed to the number of permits, right? So this is builders not building not not filing a lot of permits in that county. and But I just want to uh, uh, round out the numbers here, like Palm Beach, it's about four people.
1: Right, okay, so yeah, my hypothesis is just that those might be related, right? Because if we're talking about builders not filing a lot of permits, it might be, or, you know, relative to new employment, if a lot of that employment is Hispanics and they're living in multi-generational housing, then it may be that you have five new employed people, but they're all going to live in one house. So that requires less permits potentially. I don't know if that's true. It's just a hypothesis of something that might be causing some odd patterns in the data.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know why they're not building a single family homes there. I, I think for me, that's where the shortage is. Yes, that's where the housing shortage is is right now. And because, you know, Broward is relatively more affordable than Miami. So it's, you know, anyone living in Broward, you could easily travel to miami date, especially if you're hybrid working from home. You know, you don't have to travel five days a week and bear the traffic, right?
1: So I want to pivot a little bit into macro. Do you track macro factors? We've talked about a lot of the local specific factors, but, you know, something like, discretionary income to interest rates like that relationship is, is interesting and the interest rates obviously a macro factor the discretionary income is highly local like maybe you have a certain band of wealthy individuals who have a lot of discretionary income and so you move interest rates x amount and that just doesn't have the same impact because it gets absorbed by this discretionary income pool
0: you, you mean the wealthy, right? Not, not discretionary. Well, I guess discretionary in the sense that they have extra income, right? Extra income to spend because they're wealthier, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, if I looked at the IRS data. And again, the average adjusted gross income of people who moved into Miami day is much higher than the average income of people who moved out. So on a net basis, in 2019, the adjusted gross income of households who moved into Miami Dade was 3.8 billion. In 2020, it was 4.5 billion. You know what it was in 2021? 10 billion. Wow, that yeah. Is so crazy. I did not it the pandemic, right? Because Florida was open, <laughs> and then they decided to stay there. But when I saw that, wow for Broward uh, not much it was from 3 billion it increased to 5 billion Palm Beach also 6 to 7 billion it increased to 10 billion right so all in all in those five counties Miami Dade Broward Palm Beach Martin and St Lucie in 2019 net basis they gained 15 billion dollars a year of household income in 2021 the adjusted gross income of people who moved in was 28 billion near 30 billion so again it's like double you know so you know that's your discretionary income right there right of course this wouldn't make up the large chunk of the market and let's face it it is not affordable to live in florida for most folks right what is the median household income it's uh what six, 60,000 if you're a renter 80,000 if you're a homeowner but this folks the average income okay here's the other thing too the average adjusted gross income of the movers in Miami Dade in 2019 was 100,000 2020 113,000 in 2021 it was 229,000 of course this is average right it's not the median but there's that big jump you know Palm Beach 168,000 and then 250,000. So that migration of people, and particularly of these wealthy folks who are buying cash, who can afford to buy homes at a time when other folks can't, when the overall economy in general has a lower capability to do that. These are the things that move the needle, right? As to why Miami data has just been more resilient.
1: Yeah, it's almost like the Miami market is almost independent, or it seems like almost independent of the people who actually live in Miami because there's so many yeah. international and yes. non-resident owners. Yes, yeah, that's it's like it. Because any normal market, you look at the people who live there, it's like, no, the people who live here actually don't matter because they're not setting the market.
0: Yeah, the ones who set the market are your international your wealthy buyers every year and i track this florida has always been the number one state for foreign buyers one in five foreign buyers will buy in florida half of those will buy in the miami metro area and about 70 percent of those will buy in miami Dade.
1: in in like actual buyer numbers like how many people is that roughly
0: It's small, okay, as as a percent of sales nationally, it's 2%, but for Miami, I think it's about 15%, something like that. It's still high.
1: And that's actual international, right? Not just non-resident.
0: So when we talk of international, we mean those who are living here on a business visa, right? B2, right? EB visa, and then uh, buyers who have just moved here in the past two years those recent immigrants, but also someone who is a U.S. citizen living abroad, buying a property here, maybe for vacation or rental. And by the way, just to be clear, the source for that data is a survey. So, of course, it's the members who say that, yes, this buyer is from abroad or this buyer is here on a visa. Uh, So I mentioned to you those who do live abroad and those who are here, right? Right. They're already living here, but they could be diplomats. Or maybe they just moved here, right? So nationally, that's about 50-50. But in the Miami-Dade market, the bulk of that, I think 70 to 80% uh, roughly, would be really your international. There, they really live abroad, and then they're just buying a property here for investment or vacation rental, which is why a lot of the buyers also, I would say about 70 to 80% They're
1: buying condos. That is interesting. If a lot of international buyers are buying those condos as investments, as opposed to second homes, then that is maybe the weak link in the Miami market. Because then if the market, you know, it's sort of a, a luxury good supply demand model, where as soon as that, that housing market starts going down a little bit, some of those international investors may pull money out and then start selling.
0: I don't know. If prices are going down, I think they'll buy, right?
1: <laughs> you would think, right? I
0: think mean, if, if I'm a foreign buyer from Brazil and I see houses going here, going down here.
1: If they were Warren Buffett investors.
0: <laughs> I, I think those people who are buying for vacation, I don't think they're like, oh, well, buy now, sell it after five years. It could be they're parking their money here and they're wealthy. So it's like, why would I pull up, right? So maybe I'll just put my money there anyway right? And the U.S. is a safe investment. Where will they put their money anyway if you're from Venezuela or Argentina? Would you rather put your money in Venezuela or Argentina or political conditions? I don't want to go into that. But the U.S. economy is more financially stable, economically stable, politically stable than, say, Argentina or Venezuela, right? So if I see prices coming down here, I, probably that's even an incentive for me to buy an hold here going to hold it right you know this interest rates yes interest rates fell to historical of three percent are we going to get back to three percent probably not that was a black swan event right caused by the pandemic and the government had learned from the great recession we're not going to let these homes foreclose. the economy is not going to recession so support came in with priming the economy fiscally you know lowering interest rates right to ease money supply So, yeah, let's face it, you know, we're not going to go down to 3%, but our rates going to stay at 8% also? Not likely they're going to go down. To me, I think next year, uh, end of the year, I'm forecasting 7.5% with inflation going down. Of course, there's, again, other risks, right, like oil prices and also what's going to happen. To the war in the Middle East. But you know, absent like a major direct conflict between Iran and the US, which will boil the oil markets, you know, inflation in general has been coming down. And when when Powell announced, oh, because inflation has come down, we can afford to go slow. Well, what happened to interest rates last week? They fell to 7.5%, right? a lot of it is, is, is expectations of the difference between your um, your uh, 90 uh, 30 year rate and 10year rate historically has been about one and a half percent It's now but three percent. So you know I think a lot of that is expectations and fear but but in general with inflation going down, I think we'll see uh, mortgage rates next year uh, fall to about to me I think six and a half to seven and a half percent right maybe 6.25 to seven. And then the following year, they could even go maybe five, 5%, five you know, to, to uh, 6%. Even if, if, it, if uh, 2025, the Fed is able to bring down inflation rate to 2%. So that's already a real rate of 3%. So uh, you could see rates going down. Um, so how's, you know, and then we have this... Um, this still the demographic, you know, again demographic uh, tailwind, right? You'll continue to see an increase in your twenty-five to forty-four year olds uh, up until twenty-sixty. Not as fast as the pickup in the fifty-five plus, but you know, they're still going to be the uh, major demographic age group twenty-five to forty-four up until twenty-sixty. So you know, there's there's that demand for housing. So I think. Okay, what was my point? <laughs> I guess I was trying to say that the high interest rates, this 8% is not going to last, right? People are going to go down. Demand is going to pick up. So you, you won't see prices crashing or falling that'll make you feel, oh, I want to buy a home because if I do, you know, I you know, I won't see any appreciation in my house. So I am very optimistic. And I think the other thing, thing too I want to make is I think buyers now have understood that rates aren't really gonna go down to three percent anymore. Now are they gonna wait also? Supply supply isn't gonna improve. If if you if if you're thinking of forming your own household, you can refinance, you will see equity go up, right?
1: So if from an investor perspective though, there's inflation rate. Right? So even if I expect nominal prices to go up one and a half percent you know over the next year and the mortgage rate will fall one percent all right you know the price went up one and a half percent but i also i could just stick that money into bonds earn five percent in that same time and then buy when the mortgage rate is one percent lower what do you think is an underrated leading indicator for the housing market that most investors are not looking at but should
0: month supply. I, I don't know if investors you know are familiar with that term.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good one. What's a, what's another one that you know maybe let's say a more sophisticated investor may not be looking at but but should look at?
0: I think the most important thing is really to follow the, this migration trend. To me, I think that's fundamental because we've talked about why is Miami booming right now. It's it's because of migration. But again, the question we're thinking is. Is it going to continue? Because at the end of the day, that's your source of demand and employment growth. As an investor, I think what we should be focused on really are these drivers.
1: And do you have a specific source of data? Would you say the the license data is the best source of data for the for tracking the migration?
0: Yes, because it's uh, quarterly, and I get a leading indicator of that.
1: And who releases that data?
0: Uh, Florida Highway Safety and Motor Vehicle Department.